the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned. Because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, we have a special guest joining us. I'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, um, We have uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits, our roundtable regulars, if you will. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And... uh, on the right, um, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter, but I've been having a difficult time getting through to Henry on the phone. I'll keep trying. But uh, joining our roundtable discussion for uh, this week's Armchair Politics is internationally known business executive with a master's degree from Harvard University's Kennedy School of Government and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold the Secret to Healing Our Nation. Seth David Radwell. Seth, welcome to the show. Tom, it's a 
pleasure to be with you. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, and uh, as I said, we'll we'll try and uh, get our roundtable rounded out. But this is uh, an inaugural visit for uh, for Seth to Armchair Politics. Yes. He was a guest on the show to talk about his book, and uh, maybe we'll touch on that along the way. But we always start out with a few quotes, and the first one is. Uh, Fashioned after Flint-based comedian Mark Bondo's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke, we open armchair politics with Finish the Quote. There are many men of principle in both parties in America, but there is. How would you finish this quote? Hmm. 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 There is. Gee, that's a good one. I don't know where to go with that one. Well, it isn't designed to stump you, so I'll just go ahead yeah. and, uh, hmm. and and jump on this. Um, there are many men of principle in both parties in America, but there is no party of principle. Ah, okay. I, I would say I would say there are many men of principle in both parties, but there's. There is no focus on solving problems. <laughs> that's also true. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, anybody want to take a stab at who might have said that? Uh, hmm, hmm. Oh, I'll throw it out for Wendell Holmes, but just a wild guess. Well, it's even wilder than that, Paul. It was yeah. Alexis D. de Tocqueville. Oh, oh. French historian uh-huh. from 1805 to 1859. But uh, a quote that uh, got my attention this week, um, actually there have been several, and, and for Seth, Seth wouldn't know this, but every week the day before Armchair Politics, I get an email from Paul who sends me uh, a, a note with some bullet points on things we might touch on. And then at the end, he closes with, and anything else that happens in the next 24 hours. And there's been a bunch in the last It never fails. Hours. That's right. It never fails. Um, yes. But this this quote uh, got, got my attention, uh, and it goes like <coughs> this. It has been the greatest honor of my life to serve the people of New York for the past uh, 10 years. New Yorkers' resilience, strength, and optimism through the most difficult times has inspired me every day. Governor Cuomo. Yeah, that would be your guess after yesterday's <laughs> yeah. press conference. But it was, in fact, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's top aide, Melissa oh. DeRosa, when she oh. resigned late Sunday, less than a week after the release ah. of a report ah. from the state attorney general that found Cuomo sexually harassed 11 women. Now, I, I was, I was going to suggest or, or bring up the idea that, you know, was her leaving an indication that, Governor Cuomo would be stepping down, and then he stepped down before I could even ask the question. Were you surprised by the governor's resignation yesterday? You know, in a way I was, only because I, I thought that things had gotten to the point where, he, frankly, he had almost nothing to lose, whatever he did. He was going to go anyway. So I figured he'd hang on to the bloody end and, you know, hope for a miracle. So I was, I was mildly surprised when I heard that. It seemed to me that that he just became his the the sole last offender of his position, yeah. and and so there was really nowhere nowhere else to go. Uh. Yeah, that's true. I I have to admit, I was um, I I don't know that I was surprised or shocked, but um, but I was 
taken aback a little bit at, at how quickly it came about. It seemed to come almost out of the blue, like he made the decision yesterday morning and said, call a press conference. Uh, yeah. yeah, you got that feeling, exactly. So It, it seemed uh, very, uh, very sudden and very decisive. Yeah. I, th- I thought for a while, at the very least, he might wait until the... Uh, the uh, impeachment stuff started in the, in the New York legislature, but so so I, again, I was a little surprised by the timing as well. Uh, the, I think that the, 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 the Nixon that, gambit. <laughs> yeah, I, right, was say, right. I think it it became such so clear that given things like the Delta variant and how how what a uh, what a dangerous time we're in, the more focus on spent on discussing his impeachment and him would detract whatever whatever legacy of good he's done for the state. So I think I think it just became so clear that that he had to move on. Yeah. Um, I also kind of wonder whether or not I probably it probably happened too quickly, but uh, whether or not there was any kind of a plea bargain deal where GFI resign and you won't pursue criminal charges kind of thing. I've heard nothing to that effect, but I just wondered whether or not that was somehow part of the scenario. I see. Interesting. Well, there is a criminal case being opened up, I, I think, at this point. So we'll, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I've heard uh, that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we'll <laughs> see what happens, how that plays out. Oh, anyway. You there, Tom? I think maybe we lost Tom. No, no, I'm, Tom? I'm here, but uh, I was... Oh. Uh, I was collecting Henry to add him <laughs> into the conversation, and uh, Flint's uh, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter joins us now by phone. Good morning, Henry. Sorry, I had trouble. Good morning, and I I apologize, but it must have been my phone. And uh, uh, good morning. I'm all set. Good morning. Thank you okay. for being persistent. And you're you're on the line with uh, Paul, as always. But joining us this week is the author of the book, uh, American Schism, Seth David Radwell. And, uh, good morning, David. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you. you. It's Seth Hen- you. Henry, but... Uh, Let's let's uh, let's get into this other quote before we uh, before we run yeah, into a break. Sure. It has been the greatest honor of oops, wrong quote. We want our youth to get vaccinated. Listening to those who are making policies that are preventing this don't be the reason why schools are interrupted, why children can't go to extracurricular activities, why games are canceled. We need to do our parts as leaders. Hmm. The Michigan State uh, Board of Education. Boy, you Correct. are really, really close, Henry. Um, it it wasn't it wasn't state; it was federal. That was uh, Education Secretary Miguel Cardona, oh. who ah, issued okay. he issued a plea on Sunday to politicians, making it harder to control the pandemic. While two Republicans called for local officials to make decisions regarding masks in schools, amid the fallout over state bans on masks as COVID nineteen cases continue to rise. Who do you think will take the secretary's plea to heart? Hmm. Uh, I, 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 th- I think um, most uh, directors of uh, public education around the nation. 
and I'm hopeful that that school superintendents will as well, because I think yeah. uh, they really recognize how important it is to have our kids in school after the last year that we've gone through. Do you think yeah, Ron think DeSantis is listening in Florida? <laughs> I suspect not. Yeah. No, I think one of the most bizarre things lately is all is all the begging and pleading and bribing we do to get people to take a vaccine. It's a very strange scenario when you get down to it. But school uh, districts yeah. cannot afford to lose the money. The, they have to yeah, start setting the right. coffers. And if they don't start schools, they will not receive that money. It, uh, um, their uh, wages will not be paid, and they will not be able to meet their financial obligations. But, t- Tom, to me, to me the, the whole situation is indicative of a larger problem that uh, we face in contemporary society, which I discuss a lot, by the way, in the book, which is that here we have in the last year and a half, as American ingenuity has done an amazing thing. We've come up with this vaccine uh, platform, which is a, a whole new state-of-the-art technology, which has potential for huge benefit in, in the decades ahead. And as opposed to celebrating this achievement, even despite the fact that some people may have reservations about actually getting the vaccine, we're spending most of our time just arguing about it where, in fact, it has the key to help humanity enormously. And uh, it seems like almost every issue today becomes uh, a mudsling fight as opposed to a productive discussion. I agree 100%. I agree. That's well said, yeah. No, as, as I say, that we, one of the strangest things is how partisan every little piece of this whole pandemic has become, whether it's wearing a mask or getting a shot or... Uh, you know, going out in public one way at various times. It's just very strange that this should have been one issue that could have united both parties in various ways, but it did exactly the opposite. But I, I don't hear much commotion from other countries around the world with respect to this issue. That's true. That That is true. Right. I, in fact, huh. um, I, uh, parenthetically, I um, emceed a uh, music festival on Saturday in uh, in Davison in uh, the I choose the blues festival yeah, I and, saw that. Yeah. and I told people when uh, when the show started that uh, that was that was my first super spreader event since before the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. mm. wow anyway we got uh, lots of interesting uh, stuff to talk about we do have a break coming up here in about a minute so I don't want to dig down into anything too much but I'll uh, um, at least uh, reintroduce Seth Radwell who uh, is the um, author of the book American Schism how the two enlightenments hold the secret to healing our nation and uh, he was a guest on the show recently and uh, glad to have him back as a member of the roundtable for armchair politics henry i'm glad we connected your phone sounds a little scratchy at times and and it was uh, kind of rough last week so if there's anything you can do during the break to make sure it stays uh, fairly clear i would appreciate it and uh, henry had of course on the right and uh, Paul Rosicki on the left, who are our roundtable regulars each week for Armchair Politics. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, um, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by American Schism author Seth Radwell. And uh, for Seth's benefit, we're going to be talking about some local and state things for the next little bit, but you're welcome to weigh in. Um, For example, Mayor Sheldon Neely announced Monday afternoon public parks in the city of Flint will close at 9 p.m. or whenever the sun goes down as the city continues to work to curb gun violence. Uh, Neely held a uh, news conference on Monday after three people were killed in Flint overnight in two separate shootings. The mayor said news conferences will be held bi-weekly to discuss the recent state of emergency called due to gun violence in the city. Prior to this change, parks closed at either 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. The new closing time will be adjusted as days get shorter, uh, Neely said, to ensure parks close before dusk. Neely pointed out that uh, the weekend homicides were the first in the city since he called a state of emergency on July 23rd. How much effect do you think this will have? Hmm. I'm probably, probably little. Yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical. Hmm. I mean, I, at least the, the stuff that I've heard about sound like it's, it's many of them seem to be gangland, gangland things anyhow. Uh, the one that was... Uh, over here on Longway Boulevard was a shooting between two cars, apparently, from what I heard. So, I mean, it's... It's a I little like a, telling the kids to be home when the streetlights come on, isn't it? Right, right. Um, yeah, but these are not... These, these folks are going into close to adulthood. They, they drive cars and they carry guns. You know, they have mm-hmm. to be responsible. You know, I, and how does this look? You don't think they'll obey the curfew? <laughs> no. Uh, you know, look at, look at what the state is doing for the city of Flint and Genesee County. They're putting a new state park here in this area. The money That's has right. already been, and how will that, how does that make us look as responsible citizens of this state when we can't govern our own uh, environment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true, Henry. I, and again, I, I, I've not seen any final numbers, but I suspect in term of, terms of homicides, we are probably on track to a near record number. Again, I'm yeah. not sure the exact number now, because uh, they used to publish those, and I don't see them in, in the yeah. journal anymore. But uh, I suspect we are at least close to that same, same pace we had a few years back. Yeah, about mm-hmm. 2008 or nine, and we had 600, <laughs> didn't we? Didn't we have about 600? I don't remember what the number was, but I know we've topped the FBI's list for violent crime several times during the last decade. Well, I think I think the peak was somewhere around sixty homicides, sixty or sixty-five one year, I saw a few years back. And as I say, the last numbers I heard gave me the impression that we're at least going to be close to that. I suspect yeah. this year, the way things look, yeah, maybe it was yeah, maybe it was six sixty. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Doesn't well, the, look good. The city's, chief, way, yeah. 
The city's chief financial officer has resigned from her position after just six months on the job. <laughs> Shelby Freyer, who was appointed by Mayor Sheldon Neely in February, will be moving on to pursue other opportunities, and we wish her the best, city spokeswoman Melissa Brown said in a written message to MLive, the Flint Journal. And I want to give Melissa Brown some props for, for uh, not using the spending time with her family. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, a, trans <laughs> a transition period is in place to determine her replacement. Her final day in the CFO position is Friday the 13th. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's anything special about that day, but <laughs> Neely had cheered Freyer's hiring at the time of her appointment, praising her leadership, expertise, and eagle eye towards savings. She developed the budget adopted by the city council in late June for the fiscal year that began July 1st. And, of course, the, uh, the obvious question, at least to the locals, is does it seem like the city of Flint has a difficult time hiring and retaining competent staff? I, you know, I, I, I mean, when I saw that, I thought, is this one thing I've been thinking of for a long time, that I think the financial situation in the city is far more tenuous than we like to believe because <clears throat> the tax base is shrinking population is shrinking the demands on, on the system are increasing and I like I say I particularly when I look at the uh, the amount of the budget that goes to, to retirees for a city that was once 200,000 and now mm -hmm. has employees for a city of less than a hundred thousand I, I mean I, I again I don't know the full circumstance of why she left but I really wonder whether or not she saw the handwriting on the wall and figured it's time to get out. Uh, it, I, I really do feel concerned about the, the, the longer-term financial thing. I think some of the, the COVID bailout is going to give us a little breathing space. But I think the, in, the, in the final analysis, the numbers just aren't going to be good in a few years down the road. Yeah, and I think that's when over the last uh, several years have had some good financial advisors. Uh, administrators, they had great reputations, and they left suddenly. Well, it's and, it's, uh, it's almost Henry as if uh, you know they get to the end of the learning curve and look at it and go, "No, nah, I'm out of here." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before the roof falls in, I'm getting out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and they, uh, you know, the the person who <laughs> closes the door is going to be the person who accepts the the historical record. True. <laughs> That's right. No, nobody wants to get stuck with turning out the light. I believe that that might be, yeah, yeah, the turn out the light. <laughs> hmm. Well, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer's campaign pledge three years ago to, quote, fix the damn roads, unquote, got a boost Tuesday as the U.S. Senate capped months of negotiations by passing a 1.2 trillion dollar infrastructure bill it now goes to the u.s house i think it's passed the house already hasn't it um uh, no it's passed the senate where the, the senate. pressure to accept the proposal which could send 7.3 billion to michigan for highway repairs and more than 500 million for bridge work over the next five mm -hmm. years among other investments will be enormous it will create millions of good-paying jobs, fix crumbling roads and bridges, help us build a clean, resilient energy grid, bolster public transportation, deliver clean drinking water to millions of families, and ensure every home has access to high-speed Internet, Whitmer said. And she forgot to add, and cure COVID-19. 
Um, <laughs> is is this a win for Governor Whitmer? She's had a lot of trouble trying to make that that uh, slogan "Fix the Damn Roads" a reality. Well, it's a reflection of what's going on, and I think it benefits her well. Because yeah, I think as as, yeah. the, as the yellow yeah. barrels as yeah. the yellow barrels pop up, and we start seeing that construction, I mean, it'll. I think it'll look like a win for her. I think so. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think it's a win for a lot of local communities all all over the country. I mean, it, it is. Yeah. You know, despite all, all of all of our discussion about how bitter everything is in politics these days, and it certainly is. It is still refreshing to see, you know, uh, that kind of vote in the Senate where it was relatively, uh, it was bipartisan by a large degree. And, and yeah, it, something I like 19 Republicans jumped on board? Yeah, I think uh, so. I, think yeah. I heard 17 or 19, but yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes. A powerful message that we, you know, that we do need to make investments that pay off in the country. Uh, and, and I think infrastructure is one that, that a, a large portion of the populace can agree uh, needs attention. Yeah, and, and, and the, the American people themselves, I believe 60% of them decided that this was a good gesture for the country. It was a good movement to uh, create, uh, recreate our infrastructure. Correct. I think a lot yeah, I think a big it, issue... It, it I was say, in many ways, this is kind of like the uh, the uh, the interstate highway system project of the 1950s. Yeah. I mean, a huge project that has long-term implications, decades after the uh, after any administration is around. Mm. Yeah. It, it's hard to be against good roads and safe bridges. Right. And I airport. think a big issue going forward is going to be that 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 the some folks, a good portion of the House, wants to make a vote on this bill contingent upon the larger bucket budget reconciliation package That's and that, right. that 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 could potentially uh create some more uh fireworks that were we've come to to appreciate our part of our everyday political life yeah i know nancy pelosi is uh, leading that charge we'll, we'll so. get into we'll get into that some more coming up a little bit later um, federal prosecutors claim five men accused of planning to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer can't prove they were entrapped by the FBI because they were predisposed to attack governors of Michigan, Ohio, and Virginia, according to new court find, uh, filings. Members of a paramilitary group charged with conspiring to kidnap Whitmer claim they were set up by undercover FBI agents and informants but prosecutors pushed back against those claims in documents filed Monday in federal court. Prosecutors claim the accused kidnapping plotters were already planning violence against public officials before undercover FBI agents entered the picture. The filing claims suspects Adam Fox and Barry Croft attended a meeting with militia activists from multiple states in June of 2020 during which they proposed attacking Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, a Republican, and Virginia Governor uh, Ralph Northam, a Democrat. Prosecutors said Fox indicated the group was already actively planning some missions when he first met an undercover FBI agent in July of 2020. Fox is accused of telling the undercover agent the group planned to take the state capitol in Lansing by force and would kill police officers who stood in their way. Um, I, I guess the obvious question is, how were they being set up for things they had already been planning? 
Yeah, that's what I. Uh, where, where's the where's the legal objections to entrapment here? If you have knowledge of something that's uh, impending, uh, somehow uh, the safety of the community or whatever, the police have the authority. The FBI have the rights and authority to go out and interfere. I don't see what the problem is. If you had, they were trying to make the case that somehow the FBI uh, undercover agents tricked them into making damaging statements, and these new court filings say, no, nah, they were already oh. making those statements. Yeah, yeah, there, there were, there, oh, there were okay. their accusations that the FBI sort of encouraged this, this insurrection uh, by offering, I think, the offer, I'm not sure if they offered explosives or offered maps or something, but as I say, yeah, they try to make it sound like the FBI went in and said, "Hey, we got a bomb. You want to go blow something up?" And the yeah, guy, yeah, and yeah, the guy, yeah, and the guy that's says, ugly. "Yeah, that's and they put the cuffs that's on ugly. Them. <laughs> that's ugly. Yeah, that's ugly. <laughs> well, that's going to be an interesting one to continue to follow. It will be. Um, this week, the Census Bureau plans to begin releasing 2020 data to states. And the decennial project will begin. Michigan's political maps, considered to be some of the most gerrymandered in the nation, according to nonpartisan experts, will be retired. Thirteen citizens randomly selected, four Democrats, four Republicans, and five independents will get to work. One of the most partisan law firms in all of Washington, D.C., Baker Hostetler, in a proposal led by veteran Republican election lawyer Mark Braden, is the leading applicant to be the commission's litigation consultant. During its meeting last week, the commission said it planned to formally interview the firm very soon, perhaps as soon as this week. Is a law firm with a history of defending gerrymandering a good fit for Michigan's new redistricting commission? It certainly gives it a bad image. Now, when yeah. I heard that story, my only thought was, well, I mean, if, if, that's, if that's their ideological bent and they're going to pursue that, then it's very damaging. On the other hand, I mean, it's not uncommon for attorneys who uh, work in the prosecutor's office for a while, then become defense attorneys later in their career because they know the system. So, I mean, if, if they're simply were defending clients, it's one thing, but if it's their ideological bent, I think it can be very damaging to the image of that that commission here in Michigan, and that, and I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of unhappy folks, whatever they decide, and that image is going to be important. Yeah, that's like uh, where does conflict of interest interfere here? It, yes. it yeah, I, I I haven't thought that through yet, but maybe you guys know something that I I thought about it in a way that I haven't thought about, because conflict of interest is something that's very pervasive in business. And uh, mm -hmm. why isn't it applicable here? And I don't know enough about the law firm. Like I say, if they were simply defending clients for in favor of gerrymandering is one thing, but if that's their, their ideological bent and they pursue those kind of issues out of their, their own initiative, then that gives them a very different, very different image to me. Is it possible that they're the only law firm that wanted the gig? <laughs> maybe that's it too. I don't know. No, yeah, no. Maybe. Uh, everybody it seems hard that's to money. That's it seems money hard to bank, believe. Guys. I think you're right, Henry. That's that does seem hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, this is fun. Uh, a Michigan tribal leader is returning to a federal government office with a much larger role. On Saturday, the U.S. Senate confirmed by voice vote Brian Newland to be the Assistant Secretary of Indi Indian Affairs at the U.S. Department of the Interior. Assistant Secretary is the department's highest-ranking Senate-confirmed official in Indian Affairs. Under the Obama administration, Newland served as policy advisor in the same office he has now been chosen to lead. He was also previously president of the Bay Mills Indian Community in the Upper Peninsula. Is this a win-win? Sounds like it. Is me. it? I mean, having... Uh, I would hope so. I mean, I, I don't know much about him personally, but I would hope so. But is this... And guess what? He has an American name. He has, a, I mean, uh, Brian a cultural Miller. name. Yes. You, you mean as opposed to um, yeah. run, running chicken or something? Yeah, um. <laughs> that, that we're fighting against. It looks as though something is in conflict with something else here. But is this, is, is this kind of a new trend, and how long has this trend been going on to get, for example, um, a Native American to run the Indian Affairs, um, you know, to, to get someone with, uh, you know, some personal cultural background and experience in these agency roles? I like it. I think it's a good uh, step in the right direction. It seems very logical to me uh, that, that we would want to do that. It's kind of surprising that we haven't before now, or at least less so than we are now. And we haven't thought about it. Here's what people are thinking about this. And the American people are guiding the process. There's not politics in it. It's the right direction. Yeah. I'm running a little, uh, a little ahead of uh, schedule here, so I'm, I'm consulting Paul's list, and um, thought maybe, uh, maybe we might talk uh, a little bit about the uh, Canadian border and what's going on with those. Uh, Canada just announced uh, this last week that um, they were going to begin allowing. Americans to cross the border into Canada who had been vaccinated for any reasons, you know, they, they could be tourists or coming over for dinner or shopping or whatever, um, but they have to show proof of having been tested. I would think that would uh, um, cut the number of people trying to take advantage of that way down, and it sounds like the U.S. side of the border is not planning to open up for Canadian citizens um, vaccinated or not, at least not immediately. That's, that's what I've heard, too. And I mean, maybe it'll be a small incentive for people to get vaccinated. Maybe it's one among many. But uh... And there's a, there, there's a cultural sensitivity that goes on between people who live on either side of the border. They depend on each other. They work in uh, where the borders are. There are no barriers there. Uh, people do uh, conduct industrial activity and economic activity across the border. So it kind of makes sense for those folks mm. to open it up. 
Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that that part of. See, I don't have a problem being vaccinated or or showing proof that I've been vaccinated, but the idea of being able to take a test that would stop me from going to the tunnel barbecue. Yeah, it's, mm. it's certainly it's certainly a disincentive, and I think it's. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in border, it's so, it's so important. It's also true of Europe. I mean, Europe, America will not allow Europeans in, even if they're vaccinated. I think now, and the, the reverse is not true. Europe has, for the most part, opened up for vaccinated Americans. Americans, uh, um, they have the self will, and they do whatever they wish to do based upon what they believe, what they think. Got to have the freedoms to do that, and that interferes with a group, uh, with a group process to engage in activities that benefit us all or that affects us all. And, and Europe, the, go ahead. I was going to say, on top of this, this new Delta variant may may, may throw all these things by the wayside. Anyhow, I mean, it looked like earlier in the summer that we were almost over the hump, and the the pandemic was history, and all of a sudden now we've got the Delta variant coming back uh, as almost as strong as ever that may mm-hmm. may throw a lot of these plans by in, in, into the trash. And I keep hearing different stories on the notion of booster shots that somehow there might be a third dose. Right. And I, I've actually heard it suggested that that the third or what some people are calling a booster shot the third shot is actually um the final dose in the regiment yeah I, i've been hearing more and more talk about booster shot i think has i think israel's already gone to that route and one other country uh, maybe russia i'm not sure about the second country but a couple of countries yeah. have already started substantial booster shot usage already and there's talk about yeah maybe in the fall we'll see more and more of these requests for boosters but there's no evidence go ahead they're looking at it scientifically i think they're they're in the process of gathering the evidence but my sense is it it will potentially become a big issue in the fall yeah i i uh, i i know that there's not enough evidence to prove that this is something that's going to work but uh and this is evolving guys so but we have to be kind of cautious here because the Americans may be right in that. So you don't need that third booster shot or whomever. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, as we get closer and closer to more research and conclusions, we can decide which way to go with some credibility. But right now, there's, there's just not enough evidence. But once again, it would be refreshing if we let the science dictate the recommended path forward. Uh, as yeah. opposed to all these non-scientists and non-doctors weighing it. There are people who dedicate their lives to studying this stuff. Well, we're going to talk about that with regard to masks and other things after we uh, take a short break. This is Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, and they are joined by uh, the author of a new book called American Schism, Seth Radwell. And... Uh, if you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint. They are a broadcast service 
of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring at 92.1 LPFM Flint. And uh, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that much. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, 
Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Seth Radwell, the author of American Schism. The highest-ranking elected Republican in Michigan expects to skip a popular policy conference on Mackinac Island this year because of the organizer mandating attendees be vaccinated against COVID-19. Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, a Republican from Clark Lake, said the Detroit Regional Chamber cowed to political science rather than embracing actual science by mandating vaccines to attend the Mackinac Policy Conference. The statement contradicts the results of a recent study that indicates the previously uh, infected who remain unvaccinated are at least twice as likely to get COVID-19 again as someone who is vaccinated. Shirky said in a statement, it should not be overlooked that this vaccine mandate position is more extreme than the policy of the Grand Hotel, the island's civic government, and the state of Michigan as a whole. Is Leader Shirky following actual science, political science, or science fiction? (laughs) Science fiction and political science. Uh, yeah, I'm afraid so. It's, it's really interesting to see that division within the Republican Party, though. It does suggest that there are some changing winds on the whole vaccination issue. That 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 is true. Um, in fact, um, we were talking uh, before we went to break about um, masks. I had mentioned masks, and, of course, there's... Uh, um, there's there's a Florida man who says that uh, masks shouldn't be required because uh, people are free in Florida. Oh wait, that's uh, <laughs> that's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, but what about this this idea of mask mandates for schools and colleges? And also, we can roll in the fact that there have been calls to the. Uh, is it the CDC or the FDA, to approve shots for kids from 5 to 12, um, basically in time for the school year, which is coming right up. Yeah, yeah. That's, yes. you know, one, one big concern that I've got, I think a lot of people do, is that once we hit the school year, with all these unvaccinated kids out there, are we going to see another huge spike in uh, in the virus Uh it, it's really very worrisome. Uh, and I find myself, in terms of the mask issue, I mean, when, when masks were required, I, I had no trouble having it, you know, wearing it and having it on. Not right now, when I go into a store, I'm never quite sure, gee, should I wear it, should I not wear it? I mean, I'm vaccinated, but still, I, I, I want to give the impression that we should probably be wearing them. But it's really mm-hmm. much more confusing now than it was uh, a few months ago. Well, when we're talking about schools, though, we have to remember that, that children under 12 cannot get vaccinated. 
So I think masks are an important line of defense, especially for in-school learning. You know, it seems to me like the entire issue, Tom, comes down to that, 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 that line between, of course, people are free to do what they want. But once their actions impinge on the safety of others, uh, then it becomes more complicated. And I think uh, that's true with, uh, you know, we, we've seen over the years how cigarette smoke is not allowed indoors and how people need to wear seatbelts and I don't. I see, I think this is there's some data that really that show what's behind this issue. Yeah, I think it's a matter of being safe rather than sorry. I mean, it's. Yeah, I know the science is evolving all the time, but there's still an awful lot of questions out there about the virus in general and, and the Delta variant, and um, we are seeing the results of of perhaps opening things up a little too freely at the earlier in the summer. And I'm not exactly clear on what people are calling for when it comes to um, uh, approving emerging, uh, emergency use for a vaccine for children. Um, are, are they talking about the existing vaccine and giving permission to use it in those age groups? Or, or are they talking about a, a uh, new or slightly different variation of the vaccine that's geared toward children that they want to get released as soon as possible yeah i don't know i thought it was the former that it was about extending the vaccines that they currently have proved effective to also be effective and safe for those under 12 but and they need the data of course to do that but i'm, I'm not well, i could be wrong well they've been testing but i'm not sure that i've really seen any results of of that testing correct Yeah, I, I haven't heard any, any any testing results myself. I've heard that what you just mentioned about the possibility of that, but um, and again, I, I don't know what the what if there are greater risks of what kind or what kind of testing is done. I'm I'm not enough of a scientist to know that. Henry, are you still with us? Nope, I don't know. I haven't heard Henry for a while. I don't know what happened with Henry. I thought he would have weighed in on this because of his science <laughs> background. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, it's. Uh, I, I suspect that the um, the Mackinac policy conference will go on with or without Leader Shirky. I, I'm yeah. sure it probably will, but it is again. It strikes me as unusual that to see that kind of of division within the Republican Party. On this issue, Seth, uh, Tom, what what's your thought? What's your thought on the notion of of this of this, uh, if you will, a, an approach that says you either have to show proof of vaccination or a negative test, COVID test, in the last forty eight hours? I mean, that's giving people an option. Well, I you know I'm I'm all for options. Um, I, I guess that'd be uh, the way to maybe get more people to um, take the vaccine because I think the, the uh, test is kind of unpleasant. Yes, but I think it's at least it's, it's indicating though that the government is not is not provide, saying the only alternative is to get vaccinated, although even though the science shows that's that's beneficial, it's giving people who are for whatever reason afraid of vaccination. Yes, give me another option. There we go. Henry's back in with us. There you go, Henry. 
Okay, I, I just I heard you guys everything that you had to say when you were talking about the mask and and vaccination for school districts and stuff like that. But I'd like to just wager that this battle would be won at the school district. It's the parents. Boy, you you guys have not heard how fiery the parents are on both sides of the issue. <laughs> oh, I'm, and, and, uh, I'm sure you use that, Henry. Yeah. Yeah, they, they're going to work this one out for us. Uh, and, and they don't have the science either, but it's, it's how they feel. Patients uh, and the protection of their kids. One child dying of COVID is too many to die in the school district. And that's how schools and that's how people see it too. So uh, we just have to wait here. They may mandate stuff, but in the last analysis, it's going to be the school districts and the parents. Well, and, and really, I think you've uh, raised an important point, Henry, that it's, it's appropriate for federal and state health officials to make recommendations. And they have all said that, that children who are, at this point can't be vaccinated need to wear masks if they're going to have in-school learning. And, um, but, but ultimately, it is the decision of the school district, and it's between the school district and the parents to decide if it's going to be mandated or not. See, if, if parents, a certain degree of parents decide to pull their kids out, and schools don't meet their um, their quotas for the day, you have to have 75% of the kids present at every day to get this federal Mondays. That's going to interfere with the process in a way that it shut the school district down. The people will, will rule in the last analysis in the school district. And again, the hope is that in the law that it will avoid a future spike. I say what worries me most is that the uh, this new variant is so contagious that just a couple of kids in a school can spread it to so many others so quickly. That uh, I'm, I'm concerned we're going to see those kind of cases in the fall. Yeah, and and Seth brought up something kind of interesting. This idea of a choice between uh, being vaccinated and taking a test and you know throughout this whole process i have not been tested for covid19 once um but but i did get the vaccine as as i told people on saturday who am i to turn down a double shot but um, <laughs> but right uh, but but and and i told you seth that henry would want to weigh in he usually wants to weigh in <laughs> on yeah. science and and uh, especially school and education related issues as he was a school board member for many many years um anyway we uh we have a break coming up here at the top of the hour for uh, show id and uh and and we'll be back with the second half of the uh, of armchair politics on today's edition of the Tom Sumner programs. And we have about a minute before we go to that break. And I, I just wanted to mention, um, I, I don't know if you got a chance to hear any of it, Paul, but I had a candidate for uh, Michigan attorney general on the show in the first hour. Yeah, I heard parts morning. of it this morning. And uh, that was uh, Matt DiPerno. And he, he is the uh, lawyer that represented uh, Bill Bailey in the Antrim County lawsuit over uh, election fraud 
in the 2020 oh, yeah, presidential right. election. Yeah. And yeah. he's declared he's running for uh, attorney general. If you didn't get a chance to hear that interview, he talks a lot about the uh, the Antrim County case, and it's a pretty interesting conversation. You can find that. Uh, it'll be up on in the archives uh, later today. And so if you want to check out and give a listen to, to him, he had not declared uh, anywhere that I know of what party he was running for, but he is, in fact, a Republican. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.